book of Revelation, we are in chapter 9, and we have been going through, theoretically, the book of Revelation since the beginning of the year, and um, we considered, as we've gone through, the outline that I believe that Jesus has, has given in chapter uh, verse 19 of chapter 1, and that is that he asked John to write about the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that shall be, and so we, we have looked at, and last week you saw all these slides as we went through the review, but as a whole... John, uh, Jesus gave that revelation to John, and he asked John to communicate. And then he asked to get John to give to the churches um, a specific message. And so, these are the seven churches that he, he spoke to. And then from the messages to the seven churches, we took an interlude and went to, to look at biblical prophecy as a background, so that when we came to the book of Revelation, we would have an understanding of what the Bible taught regarding the prophecy and about end times. And so, Again, from my perspective, you know, I didn't grow up in a, um, a Baptistic church or whatever. I don't necessarily carry the, the, um, the standard um, for everything. I just want to know what God teaches in his word. And so, so as we've looked at it, um, we saw what the Bible taught coming into Revelation, and we want to interpret then the book of Revelation based upon the rest of Scripture, not based upon what I want or don't want to have happen to me in the future. And so from there, from our... Our brief introduction, we went into the throne room of God in chapter 4, and we, we considered God and the praise that God had given him. And then in chapter 5, we went and we considered uh, the, the line of the tribe of Judah, who was the lamb that was slain, which we know was Jesus Christ. And then we saw that Jesus then, that lamb that was slain, how he took the, the scroll out of the Father's hand, out of, out of the hand of him who sat upon the throne. And then we saw going into chapter 6 that he began to open up these seals. Again, opening up the seals shows his deity shows the fact that he is the creator God. He is the one who has, um, who has um, created the heavens and the earth and has authority over it all. And so as we opened up the first, um, first four seals, there were the four horsemen that everybody hears about, the four horsemen of Revelation. And we saw the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. And we saw, as we're going to talk about in a little bit later, about as we got into that fourth seal that a, um, a quarter of the earth, one-fourth of the earth would die at that time. Coming out of the, the third seal where there was the great um, financial earthquake and the, the famine that would be there, the quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And we talked about that a quart of wheat is basically two loaves of bread. And, and so coming up quickly now, July 24th, minimum wage in the United States will be up to $7.25. And so that means that a day's wage in the United States will be $60. So if we just took that as the analogy, that would mean two loaves of bread would cost you $60. 30 bucks a loaf, okay? Um, now, that's, again, that's the United States. That's not worldwide. But as we seek to cause our currency to be exactly the same as the euro and the Canadian dollar and all those kinds of stuff, I think that it's going to be pretty close to that point, that we're all going to be looking at the same thing. And we saw the fifth seal was the, the, the saints who were underneath the altar, and they were crying out, Oh, how long, oh God, holy and true? And, and they're basically told, chill out and wait. Here's your white robe. They're given a white robe and they're told you need to wait because there are others who are going to die for the name of Jesus Christ and they'll join you as well. And then we got into the sixth seal. And as we got into the sixth seal, we literally see all hell, in a sense, breaking loose on earth. I mean, it's, and if you think that, you get that out of your mind because today we're going to start seeing all hell breaking loose. And, um, but in the sixth seal... We see this earthquake. We see what potentially was a nuclear explosion. 
whether from a, a, a nuclear warhead, whether it's under the ground, whatever it is, it's going to be this tremendous earthquake that's going to cause islands to move from their places and mountains to move from their places. We saw that the angels held back the winds as well during this time. The people were so scared, they're, they're hiding in mountains. They think it's the wrath of the Lamb. And as we looked at it, we said it clearly isn't the wrath of the Lamb, not yet, because it's the bowls of wrath that are being poured out. And so they hadn't seen nothing yet. If they thought that was bad, wait till they get into the trumpets, which we are here today, looking at some of the trumpets, and we see how bad it is. But as we got into the trumpet judgments then, in chapter 8, we saw how those, those angels then, they were, they were allowed, the, they were holding back the winds, but they let it go. And then in those first four trumpets, we see how then um, the, the third of the earth was destroyed by the, the hail, the fire, and the, um, and the brimstone that's going to be coming, crashing on the earth. And then in the second trumpet, we saw how there was the, the, um, the mountain that looked like it was on fire. Remember that fiery mountain that fell into the seas? And it destroyed a third of the, the, the waters of the seas and a third of the creatures in the seas and a third of the boats that were in the seas. And then we saw wormwood, the, the missile's wormwood, or the star wormwood, okay, whatever it is, falling upon the fresh water. And we talked at that time about, if you remember, drawing the applications from these things about the nuclear experimentations that we've been doing back in the early 60s. We talked about Chernobyl and the effects of Chernobyl and the effects of nuclear war. Now, whether it's going to be a nuclear war or not, whether it's going to be something that's similar to that, the point is that the spread that you have from these, um, a nuclear-type war would, would, in fact, give you some of these effects that we see today. There would be the destruction of the vegetation. There would be the destruction of the, the oceans. You would have the effects upon our, our, our water system. In fact, we were talking about that on the way here. Um, I don't remember which one of the boys was, was brought up and we were talking about it. And we're talking about the nuclear biological chemical warfare that, you know, we're worrying about. And that, you know, a lot of people worry about nuclear warfare. But really, the, one of the greatest threats to us today is what? Biological. biological warfare. That's exactly right. You know, we're worried about protecting our nuclear site and stuff like that. But the reality is, in Columbia County, it, unless you have a well, everybody gets their water from the same source. Right over there on Stevens Creek Road. And so, if somebody went in with um, some some bacteria, some biological type stuff and stuck it in the water, you'd be able to wipe out most of the county just like this. We, we joke about it, but you know, when, when you go to Mexico, people say what? Don't drink the water. When we were in Israel, we were told don't drink the water. And there was one guy in our bus, he just couldn't get it through his head. I'm thinking, why don't you understand it? Especially after getting sick once, you think you'd figure it out, right? But his, he'd always say, Naeem's drinking it. Naeem was the bus driver. Naeem lives there. He's a Palestinian. Naeem can drink it. We drink bottled water, you know? And so, but this guy, three times, wasn't it, Marsh? Three times the guy got sick. I mean, think after the first time, I mean, it, you know, and we were there for, for four weeks. So, you know, every time you get sick, like at the last almost a week, is that right, Steve? Five days? So you, you figure that over half his trip to Israel, he was sick. <laughs> anyways, maybe he enjoyed it. So, anyways, um, but this kind of stuff could, could affect us in the future. Okay? Uh, we don't know what it's going to be, but clearly the Bible talks about this kind of stuff, wormwood, bitterness, entering into the water. And because of the bitterness that is entering the water, um, a third of the people are going to die. Or not a third of people are going to die, but um, there's going to be this great sickness. And then we saw, as well, um, getting into the, um, the, the things that were going to be coming down um, in the fourth 
the fourth trumpet, my mind is blanking. Oh, it was the, that's right, a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars were darkened as well because of the plume that was going up. Today, we want to go on into the fifth and sixth trumpet. That's in Revelation chapter 9. Okay? And in Revelation chapter 9, we see the beginning of this fifth trumpet opening up, and we see a fallen star. Now, what's interesting of this, when we consider this star that has fallen, is that we've already talked about, in the previous judgments, in the previous things, these other stars that have come down. But those stars looked like they were more missiles or... Um, uh, Oh, satellites that were falling from the sky. Remember as we talked about the high altitude bursts that they can do and back in the 60s when they did the high altitude bursts that there were at least seven satellites that came dropping out of the sky because of the electromagnetic pulse of the explosions that were there. And so potentially that could be. But this star were, were, is given a, a pronoun along with it in referring to him. And in verse 11, he is given, this star is given a name as an individual and so, said that he is the king of those who come up from it. So this, this star has to be an individual. It has to be a person. And so we talk about this, this fallen star being this one who's given a key. And so we're told that he's fallen from heaven to the earth. And as he's fallen from heaven, he is given a key. But the key is specific to a specific door, right? And, and what is that door to? The bottomless pit. Okay? Now, in verse 11, if you look down at verse 11, this individual is given a name. In the Hebrew, his name is Abaddon, and in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. Both of those words, Abaddon in the Hebrew and Apollyon in the Greek, mean the same thing, and that name is, nope, not Satan, destroyer, destroyer, the one who destroys. Okay, now, who is it? It is Satan, yes, but or we assume that it's Satan. We know that it's a demonic angel, okay? We're told that it's an angel, but again, the word angel in the Greek means what? Messenger. Messenger. That's exactly right. So we think, every time we see angel, we think, you know, the, with the, the nice wings on it, the harp, and, you know, singing songs of praise around the birth of Jesus. Wrong picture of an angel. Anyways, um, even the, the good angels probably look more like warriors, and they were there at the birth of Jesus to to defend against the demonic attack that was going to be there. This angel, this messenger, we're told, has the name Abaddon and Apollyon. He's the destroyer. And he is given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is really interesting because the bottomless pit, in the Greek, is the word abyss. We bring that into English as abyss. Okay, so he's got the key to the abyss. The abyss is really interesting because we read about this bottomless pit, this abyss, earlier when Jesus went to the, to the eastern shore, to the Gadarenes of the, of the Sea of Galilee, in order to go over there and cast the demons out of the, the, the man from the Gadarenes, the demoniac. Do you all remember that story? When he goes there and there's this guy who was bound with chains, but he broke the chains and he was naked and, and he's, What are we going to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of God? You know, and... And Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, we're, we're legion, for we are many. And so then Jesus, you know, cast the, the demon out, right? But before he cast the demons out, the demons say something specifically to him. Does anybody remember what it is? Don't send us to the abyss, to the pit. To the abyss, to the bottomless pit. 
Have you come to send us to the pit before our, before our time? Don't send us there. Send us into the swine instead. So Jesus says, fine, you want to go into the swine? You can go into the swine. And he said, cast them out. And they go into the herd of swine that were up on the hill. And what did the swine do? And they jump in the water. They go for a swim. Pigs don't swim. That means they go and they do what? They drown. What's really fun about that whole picture, most people don't get it, is that the Sea of Galilee, the sea to, in the Hebrew mind, in the ancient mind, was the picture of the abyss. It was what they pictured. There was a great fear when you go out on the water at night and the storm comes up and you were cast into the abyss and you drowned it. So when these pigs ran off the, the ledge and they went into the Sea of Galilee and they drowned because of the demons that went into them, they really symbolically were doing what? Casting themselves into the abyss. Isn't that kind of neat? They cry out, don't send us into the abyss. And so they do it themselves. Anyways, kind of a fun thing. And, you know, and for me, again, the lesson, the teaching point there is that so many times we're worried about being led into temptation when we do it what? We just lead ourselves there. You know, we're the ones who we're, we're going headlong into it. But this bottomless pit is the abyss. And so this abyss is, is critical because the abyss, we're told, has this fire and the smoke that plumes out of it, and we understand then that this place is the picture of, probably literally is, the place of what? Hell. That's exactly right. Okay? Now, you know, we're going to debate this over the, as we go through the book of Revelation, about the physical nature of things, the spiritual nature of things. You know, I mean, where does God live? Well, God is what? Omnipresent. He is everywhere present. So is there literally a place where there's a physical throne where God's sitting on it? You know, yes, no. You know, it's one of those, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll send you a postcard when I get there. And, um, but, yes, I think there's a point where I'm going to bow before the throne of God. And yet, God cannot be contained what? In, in, in a spot, in a body. I mean, that's why Jesus came in the flesh, so we can understand the fullness of who he was. And so, is, I say all this, say, is there then this, this abyss, this one opening where hell really is. You know, and I say this because it's, as I study this stuff and I, as I've gone out there and I've searched and I've researched trying to find different opinions, there are people out there that are trying to find the location of the abyss. <laughs> They're trying to pinpoint it. Yep, there it is. You know, we have this spot that looks like this. And I'm thinking, golly, come on guys. There, are, there, there is definitely bigger issues here than worrying about where the exact point location of the, the, the opening of the hole might be. Anyways, so, but it is the abyss, and so this gives us some idea then of what we're looking forward to as the fifth trumpet goes forward. Because out of this, this, out of this abyss, and this fire, and this smoke that comes out of this abyss when he opens up, become, comes these diabolical locusts. Now the word diabolical means what? Evil. Evil. Wicked. Okay, so why do I call them that? Well, because these locusts, A, are coming from the pit of hell, if you would. I mean, that's what it basically looks like to me, okay? And, and they are given a job to do. And it's really interesting, in their job, their job is to torment, okay? But the authority, the power, and the word here really is authority rather than the word power. It's the word exousia. And um, it's not the word dunamis, which is the word we use for power. Exousia and dunamis go together. Okay? 
Exousia is an authority, an authority that is granted. So Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. Okay? Now, in order to really use authority, you have to have what? Power to go along with it. Honestly, if there's a car on the side of the road, let's say I take my car, uh, my 15 passenger, we'll take my 15 passenger, and I'm going to put a blue light on top of it. And you see me on the street with a blue light on it. What effect does that have with you? Not a whole lot. But if I take a light silver type car with blue stripes on it, with a star on the side, and it says Columbia County Sheriff, and I put blue, blue lights on it. Now what effects does it have? Now you start to pay attention a little bit more, huh? Because that's not Pastor Bob's car. It's amazing what a cardboard cutout can do along the, the, the side of an interstate. <laughs> Relax, because you know about that, right? There are a lot of states that are using cardboard cutouts of cars, of their, of their, of their police cars. Great pictures of them. And they can't pull out in the road, and they can't do anything. There's nobody inside it. But you know what? It looks an awful lot like the, car, the patrol car that can come out and do something to you, right? They have exousia. They have authority. The difference is their authority they have, they can back up with dunamis. Well, these diabolical locusts, they have authority. Authority has been granted to them to torment. But notice that their authority is limited in scope. Okay? And what's the scope? Who can they torment? Only those who don't have the mark of God. Remember when we talk about the seal, it's not just 144,000. Those 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe were sealed, especially because God wanted them to be there when that 70th week came about. He knew what was about to happen upon the earth, and he wanted this 144,000 spirit. Now, whether some of these 144,000 are believers at this point or not, I don't know, but I know they're sealed. But the reality is that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that when we trust in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes within us, that we are sealed as well with that, that Holy Spirit of promise. And he is the earnest, the guarantee of, an our, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And so, if you have the seal of God on your forehead, if you're saved, those locusts can't touch you. They're limited in strength. Though they have the tail of a scorpion, and they can inflict with the pain of a scorpion, they cannot kill like certain scorpions kill, can. All of these are allowed to do is do what? Torment. Torment you. I've heard it said by people who have been um, stung by scorpions that certain scorpions can torment you. The pain of it, the burning nature of it, can torment you so well in that there's nothing that they can do to sap out the, the, the sting, the, the fire of these things. Um, does any, anybody remember Lewis Nelms? Um, anyways, Lewis is a... Um, was a missionary, and he, he had, um, um, I remember the name of, not Link, it's the one who did the national pastors. Anyways, they go out and they find national pastors, and they have get churches in the United States to try to support them, okay? Anyways, he was over in Vietnam the one time, I think it was his brother that was, was stung. Anyways, 
was um, laying in bed one night, and he he kept feeling like he was being bit, and it, you know, but he couldn't find see anything. Anyways, so he went to sleep, and through the night he was bit or stung numerous times. There was a scorpion inside his um, mattress, as it were. Anyways, and he was paralyzed. The next morning he couldn't move. He was paralyzed in the morning. Um, because of the, the numerous times that he was stung. Now, he eventually got better, but the, the period of time, I can't remember what they said, how long it was. And, and he's stuck in this body, burning with this stuff. And, and, I, and I just think that that's, in a sense, that what the picture is that's going to happen here. You've got these, these locusts of some sort, we'll talk about this, okay, which have this burning nature, uh, but they're, they're limited in their scope. Okay, they're limited in their strength. They're limited in their season. Okay? Now, what is it about their season? Well, they only, they're only allowed to do this for how long? Five months. Now, I think that's interesting to me because five months. Now, does that mean they're going to die off? Does that mean, what, what, what is it with these locusts? Now, again, as we've considered this, I believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. Okay? And literally, there is some symbol, symbology that's happening here. There are things where John, remember we talked about how John's trying to describe, and show, I showed you the nuclear blasts, and um, you know, how would you describe one of these, these mushroom clouds that are going up if you're John? How would you describe the flash that comes from one of these things? Well, if you were to try to describe these things, you know, what would you, how would you describe them? Well, look at, look at how he describes them. He describes them as... As they're shaped like horses prepared for battle. Okay, so you got these locusts now. Okay, same locusts, but they've got a shape of a of a horse, a locust with the shape of a, a horse, as it's prepared for battle. Okay, on their heads were crowns crowns of something like gold. Okay, and so yeah, this dark one's really hard to see. It's a great picture, but he has a, a crown here, and he's got a human kind of face in here, and uh, this one here. And um, let me turn those the other way. See if they, they work the other way. Hmm. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Their faces were like the faces of men. That works a little bit better. Yeah. You can see it just a little bit better. Anyways, the faces were like the faces of men. Okay. They had hair like a woman's hair. I mean, locusts. I mean, have you ever seen cicadas and stuff like that? The, the, the locusts. So far, it doesn't sound like a locust. Not at all. Okay, they had teeth like a lion's teeth. They had breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And finally, they had tails like scorpions. And, and there were stings in the tails. There were the stingers that were in the tails. Okay? So, there have been a lot of people who try to figure out what do these things look like. And so, you've got... You know, a couple different characters, the three different pictures I already put up there about what these locusts might look like, and trying to bring them together. But the question is, are they purely demonic, or are they John's description of modern weaponry? You say, well, what weaponry is the potential that they look like? Well, there's a lot of belief that potentially they could look like modern helicopters. Now, who knows what we're going to have in the, in the days ahead. But this is just an idea of what we have in our day today. And so... That picture in the top right with all the, um, the Chinooks that are, that are coming down. I mean, those are, those are just Chinooks. But if you've got the bottom left, you've got the Apache helicopter. And you've got the top left, you've got the Hueys. 
Okay, there are three different types that are out there. And there are a phenomenal number of helicopters that are out there today. Now, I'm not saying these are going to be helicopters. These locusts are helicopters that are out there. But the question is that this leads you to, to wonder, as you look to these, in a sense, um, military locusts, okay, who have the, those kind of faces, that have that kind of that whirling sound, the, the, the chariots um, running, um, who can shoot you um, and sting you, not necessarily from the tail, but who knows, right, at least Lawrence, there, there are none that shoot out of the tail right now, right? Is there a devil? No. But who knows what we'll have in the days ahead with some of these unmanned stuff. Anyways, so the question is, and I don't have an answer for you, okay? Could it be these? And the answer is, sure, it could be. Um, but the overall point of this is, is to go back to, and then we'll come back to at the very end of this message, and that is, remember where the origin of these quote-unquote locusts are from. The abyss. The abyss. The abyss. And we have to remember, that I, again, I'm going to share it, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. But it's really a spiritual war. And so many times we see things in a physical plane and we miss the spiritual nature of everything. We miss the eternal nature of things. And so I'm not saying that it's going to be an American or a Russian or whatever uh, army that's out there. I don't know what it's going to be. But I can tell you this, that whenever it happens, behind the scenes, it is a demonic attack. It is a spiritual war. One that God had allowed, and God gave the key to Abaddon and Apollyon. Because even in Abaddon and Apollyon, if it is Satan himself, excuse me, does not have the authority in and of himself to release that infliction, that plague, upon man. Only God himself has the authority to allow that plague upon man. God is still in control. Even when this begins to happen, God is still in control. And even when it happens, God will still protect those who have his seal. So we move on with these diabolical locusts. We see that they have a king. And we're told that the king is the angel of the bottomless pit, who we've already saw the name of, Abaddon and Apollyon. Now, that leads to the question then. If the other um, are demonic, and if it's military weaponry, will the leader be one who is embodied by Abaddon and Apollyon? Those are things for us to ponder, things for us to consider as we go into those days. We move into the sixth trumpet. When we go into the sixth trumpet, we see that there are four angels who are told to be released. These four angels are bound. They're bound at the Euphrates. And they have been bound there at the Euphrates for until a particular specific time. And the words that are being used of these angels are words which make us wonder of um, what their origin are as well. Because these are angels that are bound. Note that in all the other messengers, other angels that we've seen with the seals, with the trumpets and such, 
they're not angels that have been released. Does that make sense? The only other time we've seen now, at this point, that there has been anything that has been bound and released, were what? The locusts. That's exactly right. And they were released by the key to the pit. And interesting, the word here for being bound and released are the same words, bound and loosed, that, that Jesus tells to Peter, but whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he says to the, to the disciples as a whole later on as well before he leaves them, he says, and whatsoever things you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever things you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so these are bound, these are four angels who are bound, and then they are loosed, they are released. And they are loosed for a particular function, at a particular time. You remember how we're told about Jesus in, in um, Galatians chapter 4, that in the fullness of time, he was brought forth? Well, this is a matter of fullness of time as well. Look at what we're told about these, um, these angels. Verse 15, it says, The four angels who had been prepared for the hour, and day, and month, and year. Do you think that that's specific? Do you think there's any random, random nature in this at all? No. What does that tell me? That tells me that God has a particular calendar for each of these events. We haven't talked about that a lot. But these four angels have a function. And this function that they're going to perform is for a particular moment of time. But as Jesus said, no man what? knows the day or the hour. No, nor the angels, but my Father only. But the time is known. It's not random. It's not sitting out there saying, God saying, well, maybe this is a good time. No. The day, the month, the year, it's all out there. The time is there. And when they're released, their job is to kill one-third of mankind. But now that's all we're told about these angels. That they come and... They have a job, and their job is to, to be able to kill one-third of mankind. Now, how do they do that? How are they going to kill one-third of the, of the angels, or one-third of mankind? We're told in verse 16, all of a sudden, now the number of the army. Wait, wait, the number of the army. What army? Apparently, these four, ar these four angels are released to raise up what? An army. A massive army. And this army is so massive, it's described, in, at least in New King James, as 200 million. Literally, in the Greek, it's two myriad myriads. Two myriad myriads. Now, you, understand, you know the word myriad, right? Myriad is what? A lot. Okay? Literally, in the Greek, if you want to give it a, a, a literal number, it's 10,000. So it's two 10,000 ten thousands, or 20,000 ten thousands. Do the math on that, it's 200 million. Okay? So... If you take this literally, there are 200 million soldiers. 200 million something, okay, is what's in the army. If you take it symbolically, it means what? It's a huge number that you can't count, okay? I mean, it's two myriad myriads. It's not just a myriad, but it's two myriad myriads, okay? So, it is just a, a, a horde. That of, of, of army that you just can't imagine. Well, what's their similitude? What do they look like? And I think it's interesting if, again, all these words for like, 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 again with the locusts, remember all the words were like, and it was, 
the face like, and the, the hair like, and all this is like. Meaning that what Paul's trying to say, I can't quite tell you exactly what it is, but here's what it looks like to me. What did I say? I said Paul, John. Yeah, John. And so these look like horses with heads of lions, and out of their mouth come fire, smoke, and brimstone. And they have uh, breastplates of red, blue, and yellow. Now what I think is interesting is fire is red, smoke is blue, and brimstone is yellow. Okay, so this kind of all goes together. There's some, some imagery that's happening here, but we're told that these are like horses with heads of, of lions and out of their mouth. And so we have these 200 million, you think, people say, how can you get 200 million soldiers? Well, you know what? In the east, there are armies being built up right now that could be there in an instant. Now, this is a picture, or two pictures put together. You can see, if you didn't see that, you can kind of see there's two of them together. Pretty impressive. Anyways, um, of the Chinese army, okay? India, we're told, is amassing an army that is quite huge as well. Now, what's interesting about this, and again, I, I have sought to go into all this, not just teaching the Left Behind series, not teaching the, the um, dispensational status quo. I want to look at what does Revelation really say? What does the Bible really say? I don't see in this passage that it's necessarily armies from the east. Do you see anywhere in this passage where it says the 200 million are from the east? No. Where do we get that inclination? It's because the Euphrates is going to be what? Dried up. We get that from Ezekiel and stuff, okay? And so there are are massive armies that are going to come from the east. The Euphrates River is going to dry up, and these massive armies are going to come across. But I think that in this, that it's not just a massive attack from the east on Israel. I think that's going to be the case. But putting together the rest of what's happening through the seals, okay? So make this, put this all chronological. Don't take this all independently. This is one event. This is one event. This is one event. Take it all, put it together. What has happened so far? Let's start all the way back up in the first seal. What's happened at the first seal? We had a guy on a white horse come to do what? What does the Bible say he's going to do? He's going to conquer. He's going to conquer. What does it mean to conquer? He's going to gain control over it. That's exactly right. Okay? So he's coming to gain control, to, have, to grab authority, to grab power. Okay? And from the white horse, he's going to be victorious. Right? Some people have taken the white horse to be peace. I don't know whether it's going to be peace or not. We know he's going to have a bow. We know he's going to be victorious. The second horse is the red horse. And what does the red horse do? War. Kills. Okay? And remember, when he kills, it's not just the word for epoctano, to kill that way. It's not the word which we're going to see a little bit later for murder. Okay? But it's rather it's the, the, for slaughter, like killing in a, in a uh, sacrificial way. Okay? He's coming to sacrifice, whether it's going to be a, a, a religious kind of jihad type situation. We don't know, but he's going to come. And so you've got these wars that are kind of happening. And coming off of that, we have the black horse, which we saw probably was some financial earthquake okay, that's going on. Something that's going to cause a great um, inflation upon the earth where uh, the... Necessities, products are going to go out of whack. There may be a, a um, 
a drought that goes with it that affects the, the price of wheat and barley and, and those kind of things. Coming out of that, you had the pale horse where you have all this death that's going to be occurring, right? So you got all this, this happening, okay, from people conquering in, in, in this upheaval of the, of the nations. And off of that, okay, skip past the, the, the saints for a moment, you have what? This huge earthquake, this, this explosion. Is it, a, is it nuclear? Is, is one of these rogue nations trying to, to assert some authority here? And so all of a sudden then we come into the trumpets and, and we have um, potentially radiation type stuff, whatever, uh, satellites dropping. I mean, I see dramatic wartime effects happening. And then all of a sudden we have these what? These locusts coming out. This demonic attack that comes out. Are they, again, more military stuff? And so, I don't see this necessarily as just a, okay, stop, everything else is happening, now all of a sudden we're going to have this eastern attack against Israel. Is this World War III that we're seeing? Now, I'm not saying call it World War III, but you get what I'm saying? Just kind of bring it all together, it kind of makes sense as things are escalating in the war. So there are people who ask then, you know, where do these guys come from? And, and what do the red, blue, and yellow mean? And, you know, for example, even the Rothschilds. You know, the Rothschilds are, are um, the richest people in the world. They own many of the countries. Behind the scenes, you have these, um, you have the World Bank. And you have people who have been financing countries. Now, I'm not in conspiracy theories, okay? However, it's kind of interesting stuff that's out there. Behind the scenes... You know, we talk about how we owe money to Russia, we owe money to China, we owe money to Saudi Arabia, but we also owe money to people. Okay? And uh, Rothschild um, means red shield. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, so, it's kind of, yeah, you knew that, huh? It means red shield. And it's interesting that the Rothschild's uh, coat of arms is blue and yellow, blue and gold. And so there are people who like to say that this is the Rothschilds, you know, because they own the world, because of all their money. They've been lending to countries, and countries owe them. And so, if you pull the purse strings, you own everything. Uh, you know, that's kind of, that goes there. But, in all my research, I found, I, I think I've, 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 I've clued into something here. Oh, well, I'll get to that in a moment. But anyways, there's the debate then, what these things could be. They could be tanks. You know, you got the locusts behind the tanks and stuff like that. But, what do you think? Uh, red, 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 blue, and yellow shield. I mean, I, I, it's Superman. I mean, uh, we're going to have an army of Superman out there, or, or Star Trek. I mean, you know, you got the Captain Kirk in the gold, and you got Bones and Spock in blue, and Scotty and and Aurora in red. I mean, anyways, I, sorry, a little light moment there. It just kind of hit me, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to put it in there. Light, light moment. This is kind of devastating stuff we're talking about, so I got to put a light moment in. Do you get it? The point is, what are these people going to look like? What, what is, I, you know, and the answer is, I'll tell you after it happens. We don't know. What we do know is the devastation that's going to come about. When the, the brimstone and the fire spews forth from their mouths, potentially like those, those tanks, a third of mankind is going to die. Including the, the, the fourth seal, when a quarter of the earth died, only 50.25% of the original population will be around. Now, we're not talking about even a rapture, a harpazo, 
happening. Now, I don't, I don't think it happened before this yet anyway. But if it did happen before that, it's amazing what you're talking about right now. Math is a wonderful thing. And I think God has placed these things in here for our, for our learning. Could you imagine right now if half of the population of the earth died? What effect do you think that would have upon the earth? Huh? Fear. But great opportunities for those who want power to attain power. Because the world at this point is in great chaos. The world right now, right now, not even, no, we're not talking about trumpets right now, but right now, all of the world is looking for Messiah. It just depends on your definition of Messiah and where you think Messiah is coming from. The Muslims are looking for a Messiah. Yes? Isn't that what I'm in? Ahmad, help me out. Say it again. Yeah, Ahmad Dimajad, the, the president of Iran. Do you, do you guys see that over the past year? He's been trying to bring about the world war. Because he believes, as a Muslim, that when that happens, Messiah is going to come. The Jews have been looking for Messiah for years. But they expect Messiah to do what? To come physically and restore Israel. The Buddhists are looking for the new Messiah. I can't remember. It's not Dalai Lama. I'm trying to think what the word they use for that. But every, every religion on the earth right now is looking for this new leader. Even Christians are looking for Messiah. The difference is between what I'm looking for and what they're looking for is where I'm looking for it. They're looking for a Messiah to be on the earth. To come and to restore the, um, the Garden of Eden, if you would, here on earth. I'm looking for him to come in the clouds. Exactly the same way as the angel said he would come. They said, why do you stand gazing up? Don't you know that the that he who has gone up into the clouds will come so in like same like manner? Well, that means if he went up in the clouds, he's going to do what? He's going to come back in the clouds. He's not going to come back in the clouds of the hoofbeats of, of the Roman soldiers. That's just not so. But that's what a lot of believers believe, that Jesus already came in the clouds of Roman hoofbeats. That's not so. And there are some believers who are post-millennial who think that we're supposed to make this into a Christian world before Jesus comes. And so they will be looking for false messiahs as well, although they won't say they're false messiahs. We have got to understand what the scriptures teach, because when this stuff starts to happen, the world is going to be turned upside down. And literally, as we saw the, the pit opening up, all hell is going to start breaking loose. But what's going to be the effect of the people at that time? They're going to be unrepentant. Unrepentant. They're going to be unrepentant of their false worship. In the book of Psalms, we read, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. 
And again, Jesus says you can't serve God and the things that money buys, materialism. I think in our day today, mammon, materialism, is the idol that we struggle with. The silver, the gold, the wood. The things that we, the, the boats, the cars, the houses that, that we put before God. It's going to be so clear even then that they're not going to repent. They're not going to see that they've worshipped other gods. Secondly, they're not going to be repentant of their murders. Again, this is the word uh, for murder, phonos, which is the word for murder itself. Not just killing, which is opactino, and, and not the, the slaughtering, which we looked at earlier. But this is the word phonos, which means to murder. Okay, so it's a, it's a determined kill. Do you understand? It's not manslaughter. It's not just an accident. Somebody died. Somebody was killed. This is somebody was murdered. And they're not going to be repentant of their murders. Um, Jesus said, you have heard it said that to those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So, I ask myself as I go through this, and I look at the, the idea of the murderers. They're not um, repentant of murders. Is it physical murders? Yes, I think that's true. Okay, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But is it as well verbal murdering? Is it the slandering? Is it, is it the, the heart, the murderous heart that God is actually talking about? And so, taking that and now bringing that back up into the false one, the false worship, is it again the heart? Remember, we always look at the externals, don't we? We always look at the, the, the acts of people. But God judges us based upon our, our hearts. And so, this is the area that, I mean, talking about application stuff, Listen, if, if, if God's talking about these people then, what about me now? Do I have in me any place of false worship that I'm kind of hanging on to? What about a murderous heart? Am I, am I, do I think murderous thoughts, if you would, toward people, uh, c- cutting them down? Say it again. When you're driving. When you're driving, <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, we just need to start walking more often, you know? And, um, but yes, I mean, but they're unrepentant. Now look it, they're unrepentant. Repentant means to change the way you what? Change the way you think. We talk about this. We went through the book of Matthew. Jesus' message was repent. Change the way you think. John's message was repent. Change the way you think. Paul, even in the book of Acts, told him to what? Repent. Change the way you think. Well, if these people that were talked about, that all these things are going on, God's trying to get their attention, and yet they won't change the way they think. They won't repent regarding false worship. They won't repent regarding their murderous thoughts. What about me today? Do you think God's going to let you get away with it? Judgment begins in the house of God. It doesn't begin in the world. And we of all people need to change the way we think. Sorry. A little... That's where I'm going. That's exactly, you're, you're, no, you're dead on, that's okay, Don, you're dead on. That's exactly, so I was going to go back to that physical side of murder. I was thinking premeditated. Oh, listen, you know, there are people who do that, and, and, and they're not thinking that they're killing. But there are people in the industry who fully understand of what that is. It's murder. And I do think, Don, that that, that applies into this. That I think that God is pouring out his wrath. 
And even at that point, there will be people who debate that. And they will not what? Change. Even now, they don't change. They don't change. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. You know, and look, I'm not into um, people killing abortion doctors, okay? That's murder. But we've talked about that. You know, the fact is, Old Testament law, what? They deserve to die, okay? Now, I'm not, I don't believe I take justice in my own hands, okay? But the fact is, they are having justice. It's just that our world calls what is evil good. And what is good, they call evil. And so, that man who goes out and kills the abortion doctor out in Kansas or whatever, all of a sudden he's a what? He's a murderer, but the guy who's killed thousands of babies and ten thousands, hundred thousands of babies, he's a what? He's a martyr. He's a, yeah, yeah. He's killed in church. Uh, that's the, anyways. No, I, I just, that's, that's, I grew up Lutheran. And so, um, and, and it's nothing necessarily against the Lutheran church, but I, I, I really, man, I struggle when I think of that church and that guy is a member of that church and he's a, and he's a leader of that church. And, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with me being the leader of that church. You know, saying, you know, what am I, what am I going to give an account for? Okay, Christopher, what do you got? I heard that the guy who owned the biggest abortion in California said that he had a conception in California. Really? The, the, the guy who owns the biggest um, abortion mill in California said that life begins at a conception. Isn't that nuts? I mean, what's he telling you? He knows. How do you live with yourself? Anyways, so yes, so they're going to be unrepentant of their murders. But again, I don't want to just look at others and point my fingers at others. I want to say, judge not lest you be judged, and with what judgment you judge others, it should be measured unto yourself, pressed down into the full, right? Flowing over. So, what about me? You know, I can look at the days ahead and I can say, oh yeah, get them God, get them God. But what about me? They're going to be unrepentant of sorcery. Now what's interesting, this word for sorcery, um, is the word pharmakia where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals. It's also the word where we get our concept of drugs from. Okay? In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving to you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or anyone who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells. Excuse me, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, to Yahweh. And because of these abominations, Yahweh your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before Yahweh your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God is not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brethren. Him you shall hear. You know, I, a few years ago, when we first started the church, and I was driving a truck, doing a delivery truck, I made a delivery up in Greenwood, South Carolina, to a carpet place. And, um, anyways, they didn't have anybody there to help me get this roll of carpet off there as supposed to, and boy, it was just nuts. Anyways, and so I, I forgot to pick up the check. I was supposed to pick up a check there. And you said, what, it goes into the story. So I left, and I, and I realized, oh, no, i got to get the checks. So i got to go. I drove back. I wasn't fully out of Greenwood yet, so I turned around. I went back, and I went in the front door this time because, you know, there's no, no delivery. And it was just an old 
older lady, older lady, I mean, picture a, a, a tiny old lady, I think she was easily 70s, maybe 80s, okay, sitting there, and she's just kind of watching the store kind of thing. I walk in to get the check from her, and she's watching TV. I figure, little old lady, southern city, she must be watching what? Soaps. Huh? Soap operas. Soap operas. No, actually, I was hoping it was Christian Station. There was a guy preaching on it, so I, I thought she was watching a Christian Station, you know? It was a medium. It was a spiritist. It, I mean, it was calling up the dead. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, and this guy's doing such wonderful stuff, she told me. It's amazing. She's really helping people with their, with, 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 with their, their problems. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, ah, listen, that was the day I woke up. <laughs> I mean, I always know, I mean, you know, we, we struggle in the United States with things. But when you've got little old ladies, I mean, I just, that was just mind-boggling. I mean, I thought it was just one of these current generational things that, you know, since my generation and above, you know, we've, we've sucked, up, sucked into the, all these things, the Ouija boards and all this kind of stuff, and kind of gone that way, and I just, you know, that gen- huh, I just couldn't believe it. It is running rampant. Listen, and it runs rampant in our churches. We have Christian spiritists, Christian sorcerers. You say, really? Sure. We have the what? Word of faith? We have people out there who are proclaiming what? New revelation. All the time. They've got a word. Tell me the difference between someone in the church who declares that they've got a word from the Lord and a false prophet. Well, the Bible is very clear. I don't have it to show up here, but in Deuteronomy 17 and 18, it's very clear that if their word doesn't come to pass, they're what? They're a false prophet. There are a lot of people in the church right now who are claiming... New revelation, and they're not revelation. They're false prophets. And I'm not talking about just the, the Church of Latter-day Saints and the, and the Jehovah Witnesses. I'm talking about even in what we would potentially look at as the Church of Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful. We are setting ourselves up to receive all these things. It's amazing how many people know, how many people know the prophecies of Nostradamus, but they don't know the prophecies of Jesus Christ. They know who Edgar Casey is, but they don't know who John is. We've got to be very careful. They are unrepentant of immorality, sexual misconduct. Pornea is the word. Got any idea where we, we get things out of that, huh? Pornography. Graphos is writings or, or descriptions, is a Greek word. And pornea is evil or sexual misconduct. So you have pornea graphos. Pornography. They're not going to be repentant. They're not going to change the way they think about their immorality. Again, I bring it to me. I bring it to you. And I say, so what about us? I mean, if God is going to, if God is condemning this at this point, and he's bringing these things up right then, what about me today? Now, I've been very honest about my past in pornography, growing up in it every day, going, being, a, being a part of that. And I know the things that even in my mind I struggle with. But the question is, are you struggling with it? Or are you okay with it? I mean, I remember when people come in and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with sin. Good. Praise God. I'm glad you're struggling against it. I'd like, I mean, if you, I'd like to think that you're not just okay with it. But the problem is, too many of us are what? We're okay with it. 
just a little bit of dab will do you. Just a little bit of cinnamon won't hurt, right? Then come over to my house and I'll make you an omelet. And I'll just put in one bad egg. Because one, just one makes me do bad, right? We only have one little worm inside the apple. It's okay. So eat the whole thing. So no, I ain't going to ask. Ah, That's what God thinks about one little sin. One look. One desire. It's the war that's inside the heart, remember? It's not me going to a, a web page. It's not me going and picking up a magazine. It's not me renting a movie. It's what's going on in my mind. That's the war. If the same war of the murders is what, I, what I'm thinking about people, and what I'm calling people is murder, it's the same thing that's going on in my mind with the pornography that's in my own mind. That's my battleground. Change the way you think, literally. They're unrepentant of thievery. What, what, is, what is thievery? What is stealing? Taking what is not yours. We think of that as going to Walmart and shoplifting. But with your kids, you've heard me talk about it, right? If you're in class and, and the teacher's got to stop and talk to you, you just stole the teacher's time. You stole all the kids in the classroom's time. Because the teacher came prepared to teach and the students, theoretically, came prepared to learn, right? But you stole their time. Gossip is something that steals someone's reputation. And they didn't change the way they thought. They were okay with it. So, we talk about the, the seven deadly sins, we talk about all these things. Well, God at this point brings up five. Five that he boils things down to and says, this and these. The world won't even look at these. I mean, these are biggies and the world won't even deal with them. They won't change the way they think about their idolatrous worship. They won't change the way they think about their murderous hearts. They won't change the way they think about their sorceries and, and looking to someone other than God. They won't change the way they think about their sexual morality or the stealing or taking what doesn't belong to theirs, what doesn't belong to them. What about you? What about me? Again, we need to remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not a physical war that we're involved in. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickeries, the wiles, the deceptiveness of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Are you standing? Or are you floundering? The Bible says, though a righteous man may fall seven times, every time he'll what? He'll get back up. Are you a righteous man? Righteous woman? Are you walking in the spirit? Or are you getting pierced by the, by the arrows? Put on the whole armor of God. And finally, we need to remember as well the fact that about those who are sealed, that God cares about his own and that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And look at this list that he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl, peril or sword? 
Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Stop for a moment. Does it say that I won't go through tribulation? Does it say that I won't go through distress? That I won't go through persecution? That I won't go through famine? I won't be, ever be naked? Or I never be, have any peril? Or that I won't face a sword? No, it doesn't say that. But it's... Say again? It plays the opposite that you actually go through a death. And when those things come to you, if those things come against you, ah, that you that you will be able to go through those things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. If all of a sudden the seals are starting to be opened and the trumpets are starting to be blown. And I'm living through them. Now I'd like to think that the harpazo, the rapture of the church is going to happen before all those things occur. I don't see it that way. Three weeks from now, not next week, not the week after because I'll be in Canada. Three weeks from now, we'll talk about the potential of the harpazo. So, I think until this point, if it's according to my understanding of Scripture, which I'm probably wrong somewhere, I'm going through these things if Jesus Christ comes in my lifetime. And I believe that Jesus Christ is going to come in my lifetime. And so the reality is, am I prepared? Are you prepared to withstand in the evil day? Jesus said, the evil's going to what? abound. And because of that, the love of many is going to wax cold. How is your love? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful to know that the victory is yours. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. But it's not because of my own strength. But because what you have done for me. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to have that, a burning desire for you. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to see the sin that is within us. Help us to, to see the, the, dis, the, the despicableness of our thought process at times. And to confess that before you too. Um, admit that it is an abomination before you and to, to receive your cleansing and seek to grow in your grace and knowledge to become conformed to the image of Christ that we may be brighter lights in this world Lord holding forth your word of life that others may observe the works that you do through us and they may glorify your name Lord help us not to hide our light under a bushel or under the bed but Lord, to be bold and to seek to shine for your glory. I pray that the words that we, we have learned, Lord, that it wouldn't be just factoids, but Lord, that you would allow us to, to have a process through us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and let's turn to...
151, A Mighty Fortress is